Okay, you guys, I'm going to be honest. I used to loathe wearing bras because they were so uncomfortable and suffocating. They were the first thing that I ditched the moment I got back home. But Skims totally flipped the script for me. As a dedicated fan of Skims undies, I decided to give their bras a shot. And wow, Skims once again knocked it out of the park. And if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a significant other, they are also going to like Skims. Even the underwire bras are so cozy that you can literally just rock them all day without even realizing you're wearing a bra. Peyton, Peyton loves Skims. She's not lying. She's a supporter. I do. I will purchase Skims outside of this stuff I'm also supposed to be doing ads for. So I purchased my ad stuff and then I'm also like, hey, you know, maybe I should just throw a little t-shirt in here or something. But currently I'm wearing the Fits Everybody push-up bra. I love it. It is so amazing. I also rocked my no-show bra under a dress one night when I went out and it was so cute to just have the mesh detailing poking out. So shop Skims bras at skims.com. They are now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. Plus, get free shipping on orders over $75. And if you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. So after you place your order, will you please just select podcast in the survey and then select our show, Murder With My Husband, in the drop-down menu that follows. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to our podcast. This is Murder With My Husband. I'm Peyton Moreland. And I'm Garrett Moreland. And he's the husband. And I'm the husband. Real quick, some quick announcements. The mobile app is now available for our world. It is our virtual world and now we have a whole board and chat section going where you can talk about the different cases and we're posting other questions in there and topics. Um, It's completely free. The app will be in the link somewhere in the description. Uh, Check it out. Come see what we're talking about. Just a place for all of us to hang out and chat and talk true crime. It's seriously so fun. Again, the link will be below to download the app and check it out. All right, Gary, that jumps us to 10 seconds. Peyton and I went on a little vacation. Um, It was fun. We had a good time. We just kind of hung out at the beach, decompressed a little bit, and now we are back recording and ready to go. We did leave Daisy, so that was a little sad. but We left her with Grandma and Grandpa. But it was good. Peyton was, I think, a little bit more sad than I was. If you saw me balling my eyes out in the airport, no, you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I have been working on trying to make these MWMH hats. Um, We're getting there, hopefully soon. I just get really picky about hats, so I wanted to make sure that it was something that I would wear 24-7. And so I've just been putting a lot of time into those. Hopefully, there is an update soon on that. You know, I think that's it for my 10 seconds this week, so let's hop right into it. All right. Our case sources this week are CBS News, the Boston Globe, the New York Times, SeacoastOnline.com, SFGate.com, WJBQ.com, the Portland Press-Herald, Murderpedia, the Cinemaholic, Arkansas Democrat Gazette, the Bangor Daily News, USA Today, SunJournal.com, MainBiz.biz, Boston.com, and FindAGrave.com. FindAGrave.com. Mm-hmm. Like you can find anyone's grave? Yeah, they're a headstone and a little synopsis about them. You can also leave comments for people who have really? died. Yeah. It's like I could search your grandma and I could find her? Or only if someone submitted something. her onto it. Oh, okay. Got it. It doesn't have everybody's. Okay. But it's really nice to actually go through and read the comments of on victims' pages. That's pretty awesome. Okay, so when you think about Maine, this is the 23rd state admitted to the Union up in the very northeastern corner of the United States. 
You might think about New England lighthouses and fresh lobster and maple syrup and foliage and rocky coastlines and little quaint B&Bs. All very pleasant things. When you think about Maine, though, you probably don't think about murder, particularly not mass murder. After all, Maine is one of the safest states in the U.S., Mm. And our case this week is taking us to one of those quaint B&Bs, the Black Bear Bed and Breakfast in the small town of Newry, Maine. Now, Newry is in southwestern Maine, close to Maine's western border with New Hampshire. And the Black Bear B&B is right near the Sunday River Ski Resort. And this is in the heart of Maine's ski country. Now, depending on the season, this area is very popular with skiers and outdoor enthusiasts. Newry is about 80 miles northwest of Portland, Maine, and about 70 miles west of Augusta, the state's capital. Now, the Black Bear B&B occupies a historic building off Monkey Brook Road in Newry on Sunday River Road. The Black Bear has a pool out back and inviting lawn areas. The inn is a painted white clapboard building with maroon shutters and a red metal roof and is surrounded by woods. And this bed and breakfast sits on eight acres. So essentially just imagine what I picture is the notebook house. Mm -hmm. Have you seen the notebook? I have. I'm kind of picturing that and then make it a bed and breakfast. Okay. So in 2006... Julie Atterbury Newby Bullard is the 65-year-old proprietor of the Black Bear Bed and Breakfast in Newry, but Julie isn't originally from Maine. Julie was born in Texas on July 22, 1941. Her father was an airline pilot for Pan Am, and while growing up, Julie lived with her family in various cities all around the world. She spent most of her adult life in San Francisco, and that's where she still has a lot of family at this time in 2006. She's a proud mom of four adult daughters and the proud grandmother to nine grandchildren. She loves pets, and she always has several cats or dogs living with her. For many years, Julie is living in the Bay Area and is busy running an inn there called the Church Street Bed and Breakfast. So it's safe to say Julie's a natural at running these little inns, and her friendly personality is such a good match for this line of work. She's known for going out of her way to take care of her guests and to make make sure everything's comfortable, and even goes to such lengths as running out and getting them medicine if they're sick. A newspaper article in sfgate.com quotes Julie as saying about running a bed and breakfast, it's kind of like being a mother. I just had to learn to keep a household. However, all of Julie's plans around this time change when tragedy strikes. Julie's son-in-law, her daughter Selby's husband, is killed in a car accident, leaving Selby a single mom with two young kids. Julie and her 30-year-old daughter, Selby, are very close, and Julie wants to do what's best for her daughter and her grandkids, so they decide that a fresh start in a new location far away will be the best thing for all of them, including the kids, which it is really sad. I mean, Mm -hmm. her husband dies, and then she has to move back in with her mom and the kids. So in 2004, Julie sells the inn in San Francisco, and she packs up and moves with Selby and the two kids and all of their pets across the country to Maine. And Julie feels safe in Maine, and it seems like the perfect place to run a brand new bed and breakfast. And that's how we get to her running the Black Bear Bed and Breakfast. Okay. 
This new adventure in this beautiful new setting will help the family begin the healing process and help them to continue living productive lives. According to the Boston Globe, Julie puts her own eclectic design touches on the new project and Selby and her two kids live in their own place not far from Julie and the Black Bear Bed and Breakfast. So they all just kind of run away to Maine. They start running this new bed and breakfast and hope for a fresh start. Now, in keeping with her new beginnings, Selby, the daughter, decides to earn her real estate license soon after moving. But before moving, she'd had several jobs, including waiting tables, working at a nail salon, and running an eyeglass store. So Selby takes a part-time job at Apple Tree Realty in Maine. And this is a perfect job for her as it gives her time to spend with her two children, her eight-year-old son, who's named Elliot, and her 12-year-old daughter named Leela. Selby, who's described as, quote, always smiling, really enjoys her new opportunity at Apple Tree Realty. It's at this office that she meets and makes a new friend named Cynthia Beetson. And they are pretty much inseparable. And Cindy is like a big sister to her. So this new move seems to be going well because she moves, she starts a new job and then meets her best friend at this job. So Selby's new best friend, Cindy, who's 43 years old, was born on May 29th in Boston, Massachusetts. And Cindy attended the Fashion School of Design in Boston. And she is active, athletic, friendly, and loves many sports. Cindy has also recently earned her real estate license, like I said, and began working at Apple Tree Realty. She's described as beautiful and animated, and she lives in Bethel with her husband and young daughter. So it's now 2006, and after only two years in Maine, Julie is 65 years old and is facing a tough decision. She's discovered how tough it is to make it financially as the proprietor of B&B in Maine. She's tried to make it work, and she really likes living in Maine, but after thinking it through, her plan is to regretfully sell the Black Bear B&B and to move in with another daughter who owns a house in Brooklyn, New York. So she kind of got this one daughter established here, but the money just isn't making sense, so she's going to sell the inn and then move in with another daughter in New York. So Julie puts the Black Bear property up for sale in the spring of 2006 with an asking price of 639000 Okay. By Labor Day weekend, though, it still hasn't sold. Julie has been winding down the B&B business and isn't taking on any new B&B guests. However, to try to make ends meet, she's willing to take on longer term borders. So it, waiting for the house to sell, yeah. she's like, okay, maybe I can get someone to stay here longer. She gets an application from a young local college student named Christian, and she decides to rent him a room. So you have Julie, the owner, who's living at the inn, and then now Christian Nelson, who's living there. And then there's one other person living at the Black Bear Inn in the summer of 2006 and his name is James he goes by Jimmy Whitehurst now Jimmy is 50 years old he works as a handyman and about a month before the Labor Day weekend Julie gives Jimmy a free place to stay at the B&B in exchange for him performing some handyman work for her on the inn this living arrangement is perfect for him he doesn't have to pay and all he has to do is work around the house so it's Monday September 4th 2006 it's Labor Day Tourists are in Maine this weekend to enjoy the leaves and a quiet holiday of canoeing and fishing. It's the last day of the summer tourist season in Maine. Now, vacationers will be heading out of Maine and back home today. However, there are no tourists at the Black Bear Inn. At about 5.30 p.m., the Maine State Police get a dispatch about a death at the Black Bear Inn in Newry, Maine. All right, here we go. Trooper Dan Hansen is the one who gets the call. Hansen drives out in his patrol car to Black Bear, and when he pulls up, 
he finds three people outside in front of the B&B. It's the border, Christian Nilsson, Nilsson's dad, Charles, and Christian's dad's third wife, Lee Graham, who is Christian's stepmother. So basically it's Christian and his His parents. parents. Yeah. Lee Graham rushes up to Trooper Hansen when he pulls onto the property and she tells him that her husband Charles has found some bodies outside of the B&B. Bodies. Yes. She also tells him that Nilsson has told his father that he killed some people. Okay. So she has these bodies and then she basically says, and my stepson says he killed some people. The trooper sees Nilsson and his dad sitting together nearby on a bench. So the trooper walks over and says, what's going on? Christian Nilsson takes a look at the trooper's name tag and then casually says, well, I killed some people, Dan. I shot them all. The guns in the house in the tool chest. Well, that escalated quickly. Yes. The trooper can't help but notice that Nilsson's parents are caked with mud and blood. So not just Christian, but the parents as well. Yeah, that's weird. So the trooper is like, okay, when did this happen? And he said, a while ago. So Trooper Hansen is dealing with something he doesn't deal with often. And honestly, most officers don't deal with. But he handles the situation like the trained professional he is. He reads Christian Nelson his Miranda rights and places him under arrest. He asks Nilsson if he'd like to talk, and Nilsson says yes. However, Nilsson informs Trooper Hansen that he's only going to tell the story once. So the trooper, wisely wanting to wait for homicide detectives to arrive to hear the story and any confession that he might make, handcuffs him and puts him in the police car and doesn't ask him any questions. Mm, That's smart. The trooper also turns on the video recorder in the patrol car. Mm, Okay. At this point, Nielsen's dad talks to his son through the police car window, and he makes a comment about, shouldn't Nielsen just wait to talk to a lawyer? And he goes, yeah, that's not a bad idea. The trooper reminds Nielsen that it's up to him whether to talk to police or not, and he says, again, he'll talk to detectives. Trooper Hansen knows it might take homicide detectives a while to arrive at the B&B in the small town. So in the meantime, he needs to find out what exactly is going on and whether anyone else needs to be arrested and whether anyone needs help. I'm still thinking about how the dad and the stepmom are covered in mud and blood as well. Right. That's weird. So Trooper Hansen asks Charles to describe what he found. Like you said, you found bodies. What exactly happened? Uh-huh. So Charles then leads the trooper along a trail of blood across the grass to some brush on the B&B's property. The trooper comes upon two freshly dismembered bodies in the brush. It's the bodies of two women, and they've been left in what's described as bloody heaps. And along with the human bodies are the bodies of two or three dogs who have also met violent deaths. The trooper still doesn't know yet what he's dealing with or how many victims there are. The trooper goes back to the police car and says to Christian Nielsen on tape, I know you invoked your rights and you want to speak to counsel, but I need to ask you this question. Is there any chance that there is anyone here alive? I don't want to leave someone out there bleeding. And Nielsen says, no, everyone's dead. So still waiting for detectives to arrive, Charles tells the trooper that his son had told him that there are a total of four victims. But so far, the trooper thinks he's only seen two. Okay. So Charles tells the trooper that three of the victims are there close to the B&B and that one is in the town of Upton. So it's not just on this property. The trooper gets directions from both Christian and his dad, Charles, as to where the third body can be found. However, he can't leave the patrol car to go investigate as he's still the only officer on the scene. 
At about 6 p.m., Norm Lewis, a game warden, arrives at the Black Bear Inn. He's there to assist the trooper until more backup can arrive. He finds the trooper talking to Nelson through the police car window. The trooper asks the game warden if he knows the Brown Company Road in Uptown because there might be a victim there. Charles says to ask his son for directions, but the trooper doesn't want to, as Nelson says he only wants to tell the whole story once. So he's like, I'm not going to ask him because... What if he then closes up after? Trooper Hansen still wants the homicide detectives to do all of this and to be present for any statement. So once the game warden shows up and can keep eye on the situation, Trooper Hansen goes to the spot where he was told that the third body can be found at the B&B. It's on the Black Bear property about 50 yards from the other two bodies, and that's where he finds a tarp. All right, everybody, we're talking about food. Not just any food, but daily harvest. And when it comes to eating well, we are not the best at it. And we're also not very good cooks. That's why we love daily harvest. They have no gluten fillers, seed oils, added sugars, or starches. Daily harvest really takes the guesswork and effort out of cooking because they deliver delicious smoothies and other options that are built on organic fruits and vegetables straight to your door. I love their smoothies. Yeah, Garrett Garrett drinks one every day. And when it comes to variety, Daily Harvest is always keeping it exciting as well. They have tons of great smoothies and other meal options that look so delicious. You never get bored when it comes to meals and snacks. So take the guessing out of eating well and try Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com slash husband to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com slash husband for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Again, go check out their stuff. They got food. They got smoothies. They got something for lunch, breakfast, anytime you want to eat something. It's very convenient and we love it. Dailyharvest.com slash husband. All right, we're jumping into a Shopify ad. Love Shopify. Bunch of ads for them. If you have any type of online business, e-commerce store at all, please go and check out Shopify. You will absolutely love it and make sure you use code husband or go to shopify.com slash husband. I think sometimes starting something, we all have these aspirations, right? We're like, oh, I make these little, I knit these little onesies. I really want to sell them or I do this or I do that. But then you have no idea what that actually looks like. Shopify is the answer. That is how you do it. And when we started podcasting, I was like, okay, maybe we're done with Shopify, but nope, here we are selling merch. So we're still using it. From the launch your online store stage to the real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. No, we have not hit a million orders on Murder With My Husband, but maybe one day. (laughs) Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs to every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash husband. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash husband now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. You guys don't forget to use code husband. It really it, it benefits you and it benefits us. Shopify.com slash husband. Underneath the tarp, he finds another body, the third body. It's another woman's body. It was like a game to this kid. Right. This body is also dismembered and has been cut in half. Oh my gosh. So while Trooper Hansen is out looking for the third body, Lewis, the game warden, hears Nelson say to his dad that the police won't be able to find the fourth body out in Upton because he burned it. 
Nilsson then gives Lewis directions to the burn spot without Lewis asking. Lewis does once ask for clarification in the directions, but otherwise doesn't question him. At 7.30 p.m., two hours after Trooper Hansen had first got the call, a detective from the Maine Criminal Investigations Division arrives on the scene. Her name is Detective Jennifer King, and Nilsson is still handcuffed and sitting in Trooper Hansen's patrol car at this point, which means he's basically been sitting there in the back yeah. for two hours. Detective King asks if Nilsson will consent to be interviewed by detectives at the Newry Fire Station, and he says yes, so they then drive him to the station. Once there, Detective King and another detective take off Nilsson's handcuffs, let him use the bathroom, give him a sandwich, let him take off his bloody, muddy clothes and change into clean clothes, and again inform him of his Miranda rights. Nilsson states that he understands his rights, and this interview is two hours long, and it's all caught on audio tape. Nilsson says, quote, We're talking about dead people, okay? Is that something you want me to talk about? I'll tell you exactly what happened. He then confesses in gruesome detail to the mass murder, the murder of four people, three of those bodies Weird. having been found at the B&B all chopped up. What a strange, I don't know, what a strange person. Right. Like, I don't, I don't understand. Well, this is the horrific story that he tells police. This is what okay. he says happens. Nilsson says that he decides on Thursday, August 31st, 2006, that he's going to kill Jimmy Whitehurst. Remember, Nilsson is already living at the B&B with Jimmy, yes. who is the man working on the house. The men have only known each other for a very short time, and they only know each other through living at the B&B. There's no reason for wanting to kill Jimmy other than that Nilsson had wanted to kill someone for years and that he finds Jimmy to be objectionable. Nilsson goes to a local gun store and buys a 38 caliber gun along with ammunition so he can carry out this plan oh or this fantasy of killing Jimmy. And then on Friday, September 1st, the first day of the Labor Day weekend and three days before Trooper Hansen will get involved and get that call, Nilsson isn't planning to canoe or enjoy the outdoors. He has other plans. He is planning to murder on this Labor Day weekend. Nilsson invites Jimmy to join him for a pleasant afternoon of going out to lunch and then heading up to do some fishing. Nilsson claims he has a cabin out in nearby Upton. The two set off in Christian Nilsson's car. They stop at a Subway fast food place where Nilsson buys Jimmy a sandwich. Nilsson then drives Jimmy way out on a dirt road, basically all the way out to the main New Hampshire state line. This is the remote woods in Upton, about 15 miles from the Black Bear B&B. And at this point, Jimmy's got his cane with him. Remember, he is a little bit older and Nilsson has got his gun. Oh, so sad. Nilsson lures Jimmy out into the woods with no one else around, and they're peacefully eating lunch in a clearing. Nilsson then comes up behind the unsuspecting Jimmy and shoots Jimmy in the back of the head with the 38 handgun execution style from nearly point-blank range. This shot is fatal, but Nilsson shoots Jimmy two more times into his body. And Jimmy never even sees the gun. He probably doesn't even, had he no had idea. no idea yeah. what's happened. Uh-huh. Nilsson decides to leave Jimmy's body out there in the wilderness, right where it's fallen. Nilsson then drives away from the scene of his first murder. Then, as though nothing has happened, Nilsson goes to work that Friday night at Sud's Pub at the Sudbury Inn to be a cook. This is where the whole psychology behind it just gets so interesting. Like, has he always wanted to kill someone? Like, what? When did these fantasies yes, start? Like what happened? Right. And it's also just crazy that he can 
murder someone and then be the cook that's cooking patrons food fresh off of committing a murder. You know oh, what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like those feelings and those thoughts, they're completely turned off. Right. There is no, yeah, exactly. So the next day, this would be Saturday, September 2nd, Nilsson returns to the woods in Upton so that he can dispose of Jimmy's body. He's planning to bury Jimmy in a lonely, unmarked grave out there in the woods. Nilsson starts out by digging a grave, but before long, he changes his mind. He realizes that digging a grave is extremely time-consuming, and it's also back-breaking, difficult work. So needless to say, Nilsson is just lazy. Going down several feet into the earth is no easy task, so Nilsson decides that instead of burying him, he's just going to burn the body. Oh. Nilsson uses gasoline as an accelerant to incinerate him. Nilsson chops the body apart, hacking at it, dismembering it into pieces while it's burning so Jeez that it will burn faster. Wheeze, man. And these will be additional charges. Like, you yeah, kill someone I mean, and hopefully then... Hopefully he's already screwed for life. Right. It's just, it adds to it. Nilsson finally leaves only after Jimmy's body is totally incinerated and there are no traces left, which that had to have been a pretty hot fire. It probably did help yeah. the dismemberment as well. So Nilsson rests easy now that he's gotten away with murder. However, the following day, and this would be Sunday, September 3rd, Nilsson realizes that Julie Bullard is going to get worried about Jimmy's disappearance. She lives at the house with them too. Where did Jimmy vanish to? Where has he gone? Being the extra caring person that she is, Nilsson knows that Julie will surely go looking for Jimmy and that she'll quickly alert authorities that he's vanished. So in order to cover up Jimmy's murder, no. Nilsson theorizes that he needs to kill Julie as well. He peeks into her bedroom window at the B&B &B and he sees that she's in her bed sleeping. Nilsson then goes back inside the B&B &B and he suddenly breaks down Julie's door while she's helpless in her bedroom. He really doesn't have to worry about the noise because they're on eight acres of land. Like, he yeah. can, no neighbors are going to hear this. So once he's busted his way into her room, he opened fires, shooting Julie multiple times in the chest. Remember, she was asleep. Yeah. There's a report that the shots knocked her out of bed and into a wall. And then he later tells police that he thinks this was all awesome. Like, this was just... What a freak. So cool to watch. I don't even know how to explain somebody like this. Then, according to SouthCoastToday.com, he told police he dragged her body outside, cut her in half with a hacksaw and an axe, covered her body with a tarp, and left for his job once again. Again, this is in 2006. Yeah. He's hacking somebody up. Mm -hmm. Just like before, after committing an act of absolute atrocity, Nilsson shows up nonchalantly for work on time and cooks. So it's now Labor Day. This would be Monday, September 4th, 2006. It's the last day of the summer tourist season in Maine. Around this time, Nilsson goes to his father's house and borrows a chainsaw. He then goes back to the Black Bear Inn. Meanwhile, Julie's daughter, Selby, is becoming increasingly worried about her mother because she's not answering her cell phone and she's not returning Selby's calls. Remember, Selby's the daughter who came and started over mm -hmm. in Maine with her. According to Selby's employer, who runs the Apple Tree Realty office, Julie had bad asthma. She would get into these coughing fits. So Selby was worried when she couldn't reach her by phone. So she just drove to the B&B to check on her. Selby is very worried about her mom's health, and she herself has a broken leg at this point, so her best friend Cynthia 
is driving her around. Remember, Cynthia's yep. her friend with the husband who they spend a lot of time together. Now they're both heading to the B&B to check on mom, Julie. And I know you know where this is going. This is how we end up with, with four. four. Yep. So Selby and Cynthia show up unexpectedly at the Black Bear Inn to check on Julie, Selby's mother. They don't know that she was murdered and dismembered by the paying border the day before. Nilsson, though, is there inside the Black Bear and he hears a car pull up front so he gets ready. I mean, he's probably in full-blown panic. So Selby and Cynthia go inside the B&B to check on Selby's mom. And imagine Selby's fear when she sees the busted down door of her mom's bedroom inside the bed and breakfast. Also, imagine her horror when she sees the blood all over her mother's room. So Cynthia is oblivious to all the horrors that Selby is discovering upstairs because she's downstairs yeah. talking with Christian Nilsson, the murderer, in another room. So Selby yells from her mother's room, asking Nilsson if anything's happened to her mother, obviously, based on what she's discovered. So Cynthia begins running up to the room where Selby is, and Christian Nilsson follows her up there. So Cynthia is walking and has her back to Christian Nilsson. It's at this point, while she's running up to check on her friend, that he pulls out his gun and open fires on Cynthia, shooting her in the back of the head. And Selby is watching from her mother's bloody room, seeing all of this. Nilsson then shoots Selby in the head as well. So according to SouthCoastToday.com, Nilsson said he dragged the two bodies outside and cut them up with the borrowed chainsaw. Oh my gosh. This is, this is insane. Like, why has he got to do that afterwards? This is absolutely insane. He says he cut both women's fingers off and removed their rings, placing them in his duffel bag, I'm why? sure. For identification purposes, or maybe he's just weird and wanted to keep their fingers. He also claims that he wanted to steal their jewelry. So instead of just taking the rings off, he just cut the fingers I, off. I can't believe at this point he thinks he's going to get away with this. I know. So either before or after he cuts them up with the chainsaw, he also kills all three dogs on the property as well, which oh my! I just had to include because it just goes to prove that he just wanted to kill. Yeah. Like this is just bad. It's yep. just bad. All of these were Julie's dogs. Like I said earlier, who knows for how long he's been wanting to just kill. Right. So after killing and dismembering Selby and Cynthia, Nilsson then calls his dad and tells Charles that he's now running the B&B &B because Julie is away in California. So he calls his dad and is like, hey, remember the owner, Julie? Yeah, well, she's away in California, so I'm now in charge of the bed and breakfast. He claims Julie actually put me in charge. Some reports say that Nilsson at this point invites his dad over to the bed and breakfast. He's now running. Some make it sound like Charles comes over to investigate after this odd sounding phone call. So either way, he either comes over because he's invited or he comes over because it just sounded suspicious. In any event, this phone call prompts his dad and his dad's wife, Lee Graham, to come over to the bed and breakfast. I'm going to say they went over because they were a little suspicious. So, I'm sure at this point, you know, your son's a little off. Right. Like, why Not would just Julie just off. leave you there? Yeah. yeah. And they live about 13 miles away from the Black Bear Bed and Breakfast. Okay. So at just about 5.30 p.m., Christian Nilsson's dad, Charles, and his stepmother arrive at the Black Bear. And as soon as they get there, and apparently even as they're still pulling up in the car, they see what looks like a long, fresh trail of blood outside in the grass of the home. This is from where Nilsson had been dragging the bodies, which... 
again, this is a- whether he invited them or not, you still haven't cleaned up. I don't think. I mean, I guess it's on eight acres. He's out there. He probably doesn't think. You know what I, I mean? mean? I just but, don't think he's the smartest person in the first place. Right, right. So Charles follows the trail to behind the black bear where he finds the bodies of the two women that Nilsson had just killed. Charles confronts his son while Lee calls the police. And Lee actually calls the police twice. The first time she calls to say that her husband has seen a dead body and that they think the mm-hmm. son is responsible. And then she calls the police again to say, never mind, it's not just these two bodies. He's saying he's murdered four people. There's another body on the property, which would be Julie, and then also Jimmy up in Upton. I don't want to say props, but we have had cases in the past where parents cover up. Yeah, or instantly go, there's no way my son did this. Right. And they immediately called police. I'm guessing, though, maybe there were weird signs when yeah. he was growing up because it seems like his dad was instantly saying, oh, okay. Something weird's going on. My dad, my my son did this. Right. right. That was his first initial thought. It wasn't, oh, like, are you are you okay? Did someone else do this? Yeah, are you in It was danger? like, oh, my son just killed some people. Dave is the banking app that's leveling the financial playing field. When you download Dave, you could get up to $500 in five minutes or less, no credit check, no late fees. It's part of Dave's extra cash account, advance the money you need with no interest, and then settle up later. This would have been nice in college when I kept getting slapped with parking tickets oh and I literally gosh. didn't have I, any wiggle room. Or when I kept getting towed. Yeah, I could have used Dave. Extra cash gives you more money to buy groceries, fill a tank, and pay rent without having to wait for your next paycheck. It's time to remove extra stress with extra cash. Millions of people have already downloaded the Dave app to make their finances easier. In fact, Dave has helped its members avoid over $2.5 billion in overdraft fees since 2017. Download Dave today at dave.com slash husband. That's dave.com slash husband. You could get up to $500 in five minutes or less when you download Dave. No credit check, no late fees. Download the Dave app now or go to dave.com slash husband. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Eligibility criteria and instant transfer fees apply. Banking services provided by Evolve, member FDIC. Murder With My Husband is sponsored by BetterHelp. If I had an extra hour in my day, I would probably start reading more books every day. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time, but the question is, Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I really am such a huge fan of therapy. It's truly given me the tools to tackle really big life changes, honestly overcome anxiety, and is a safe space for me to voice my thoughts. I think putting words to how we feel is so, so important, and therapy is a tool to do just that. It's fully online, made to be convenient, flexible, and work best for your schedule. You just have to fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with the licensed therapist. You can also switch therapist at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash husband today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash husband. That basically catches us back up to Christian Nelson confessing all of this with law enforcement the day of the murders. 
And after his confession, Nilsen himself leads law enforcement to the murder and burn site of Jimmy in the Upton Woods. At the exact spot where Nilsen leads them, they find a fire pit. And it's hard to tell from the naked eye that a body has been burned there, but an expert forensic anthropologist will later test and determine that the fire pit does in fact contain the remains of a human being. Okay. This is where Jimmy's remains are found. Police search Nilsen's car inside the Black Bear B&B and all around the grounds as well. And investigators will work all night going over everything with a fine tooth comb gathering evidence, even though they have a confession. When you have a confession like this, I think a thought runs through detectives' brains where what if he pleads insanity? Mm. So then they want to comb every inch of that house to see if the premeditation or if there's anything they can find to state otherwise. Police find and recover Nelson's gun that he just bought, which is the murder weapon. Also, it seems almost too easy. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, he just confessed all this, like an open and shut case. And I'm sure that makes detectives go, no. What's going like, on? Like, what is happening? It cannot be this easy. easy. Police also seize bullets, bullet casings, the women's jewelry, and bone chips during the search. The medical examiners and detectives recover the bodies of the three women from the Black Bear B&B that same evening. And while all of this is happening, the for sale sign is still posted uh, out front because Julie had man. been planning to sell this. So sad. So like you, police are like, okay, what? Who what's, is this kid? What's going on, yeah. Who is this kid? What happened? We need to learn about him. When did this start? Does someone really randomly just hacksaw and and kill four people for fun? So the police delve into Christian Nelson's background. And this is what they learn. Christian Charles Nelson was born on May 2nd, 1975 to Charles Nelson and Patricia Nelson. He is 31 years old at the times that he committed these murders. The police learned that Nelson and his youngest sister had a pretty rocky childhood. Their parents divorced in 1980 when Nelson was just five. His childhood will be dictated by custody battles and his parents' various marriages and divorces. Nelson's dad, Charles, fought to get custody of his two children based on the mom's emotional instability as well as her ill-advised relationship with a man named Michael Lewitt who had been in and out of state prison for burglary and other property-related crimes. Now, Nelson's mom is struggling with mental health issues, and in 1982, a court rules that Nelson and his sister will live with their father, not their mother. Okay. After living with his father, Nelson graduates high school in 1991 from Mount Blue High School. Around this time, Charles, his father, marries a third time, this time to Lee Graham, the stepmom who called the police. Nilsson attends the University of Maine in Farmington, but his attendance in college is erratic throughout 2001 to 2005, and he doesn't earn a degree. So Christian Nilsson is known to have problems with alcohol at this point in his life. Prior to the case, he worked as a cook at another restaurant, but had gotten fired, and it's not clear what led to him being fired. Nilsson's only known criminal record prior to the quadruple murder is for drunk driving. Weird. He was arrested once, and it's not clear if he's even convicted, but he loses his driver's license the year before the murders. And he has some other driving offenses on his record. P 
People who knew him as an adult describe him as moody, unpredictable, and aimless, but overall thought he was harmless. He was also described as kind of smart. The owner of a bookstore in Farmington says that Christian Nelson was a frequent customer. According to a co-owner of the Sudbury Inn, which is where he cooked, quote, he was reliable and a soft-spoken and quiet guy. I was surprised and shocked that this happened. It's so interesting. I wouldn't have expected that. Right. Usually there's some sort of, you know, signs or something going on. The triad, like, oh, he yeah, killed or he was Especially with something this brutal, right? There's usually something going violence, on. Violence, something. On Tuesday, September 5th, 2006, the day after his arrest and confession, Christian Nelson is charged and arraigned on four counts of murder before a judge at the Oxford County Superior Court. He appears to be smirking in various photos throughout this. So he literally... Just got arrested for this murder, and in court, he's smirking and acting just cocky. Did he, like, go insane? Like, this is kind of a confusing one. Right. On September 30th, a celebration of life is held for the mother-daughter, Julie and Selby Bullard, in San Francisco. And in December 2006, Christian Nilsson cuts an X into his own scalp using a disposable razor. So he's placed on suicide watch at jail because of this. At some point in early 2007, while awaiting trial, Christian Nilsson embarks on a hunger strike and he loses 55 pounds, oh goes from gosh. 158 pounds to 103 pounds. At this point, I assume they have to force feed him, correct? Probably, yeah. Because of this, Nilsson is ordered to be transferred to a psychiatric center, but he isn't healthy enough to do so while on the hunger strike. And then he gets put on a feeding tube. Okay. After this, his attorney changes Christian Nelson's plea from not guilty to not criminally responsible. The grounds for this are that he allegedly lacked the mental capacity to voluntarily waive his right to remain silent. In early July 2007, there is a two-day hearing on the motion, and the judge rules for the prosecution and denies the defense's motion to exclude his confession. Okay. All except for one statement, the one where he told Trooper Hansen that it had been a while since he had committed the murders. So they believe he's competent mm-hmm. to stand trial. He ends up pleading guilty, so the trial isn't necessary. And on October 18th, 2007, Christian Nelson is sentenced to life in prison. Justice Robert Crowley, in pronouncing the sentence, says, When all is said and done, Christian Nelson has committed four of the worst criminal acts in recent Maine history. In their sentencing brief, prosecutors write that Nelson could provide no motive, but that he'd just been obsessed with killing someone and that he wanted to take over running the Black Bear B&B. According to an article by Clark Canfield, Selby's Bullard's 10-year-old son wrote a victim impact statement called How My Life Changed and I Was Forever Wounded. He and his sister have lost both their mother and their grandmother only Uh. two years after moving to Maine because of the loss of their father. Remember, their father died in the car accident. That's horrible. In 2009, the new owners of the Black Bear property seek permission to transition the property into four condos, saying it's too difficult to continue to rent out as a bed and breakfast. Oh, man, I don't even know how, yeah. Yeah, that that would be hard. I feel like I'd tear the whole building down. Christian Nilsson is currently incarcerated at Maine State Prison serving out his life sentence, and he's never shown any remorse for his crimes. One of Julie's friends has said of Julie, she loved Maine and she felt very safe in Maine and she didn't really want to leave, but for economic reasons, she was going to sell the bed and breakfast and share a house with her daughter. 
It's tragic that she and her daughter and her daughter's best friend and her live-in handyman would meet such a violent end at the hands of a mass murderer. According to the New York Times, officials described the four-day rampage over the Labor Day weekend as the largest multiple homicide in Maine since an arson fire killed four in Portland 14 years earlier. As quoted in the New York Times, this is a particularly gruesome and unusual type of crime. It's a crime of horrific proportions. Selby's kids have now lost both their parents. All four victims left behind grieving children. And no matter how many life sentences Christian Nilsson serves, nothing can make up for these four beautiful and innocent lives that were taken away much too soon. And did we ever figure out why the parents were bloody and muddy? Probably just from going and finding the bodies. I mean, it never said that they had any part in it, but I'm going to assume because they called police and were so open about it, they they were cleared of any suspicion. Oh, that's, there was literally no reason. The reason was that he just wanted to kill. And I don't know how you even combat that. Like, what are you supposed to? It goes back to the question, good and evil. Like serial killers like that, it blows something I won't be able to comprehend. Right. He just wanted to know what it felt like. It wasn't like he killed his family. It wasn't like there was no motive. The motive was I wanted to kill random people. Well, it started with Jimmy that weekend. And And then then it kept going. It just kept going. And then like the best friend, Cynthia, she left behind a husband and a child. Yeah, they all left behind kids. You said every single one, correct? Mm -hmm. So sad. So devastating. But that is the case of the murders at the B&B. And we will see you next week with another regular episode. I love it. And I hate it. Goodbye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.